If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we want to invite you to open up to the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to finish up chapter 9 today as we, uh, as we look at, at still what the Lord has for us. <clears throat> Pretty excited because um, men's retreat last weekend was off the hook. I don't know. How many guys were here that were there? Was it cool or not? God, God did some amazing things. I feel like the seeds of revival have been sown. And now we await the harvest. And between now and then, we will not stop sowing seeds. Hopefully this morning we're going to sow some more seeds. I uh, feel like a pretty much loved person today. Because somebody here made me a beautiful scarf. Do you see this thing? I don't know if you can tell what it is. Let me let you see it all. That is a piece of bacon. Man. I can taste it every time I put it on. Man. So good. It's found a, a place here. It's not very Jewish, but it is very Jackie. <laughs> so if you got uh, Acts chapter 9, we'll pick it up together from about verse 32. And we'll take a look at prayerfully what the Lord has for us this morning. It says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, he also came down to the saints who dwell in Lydia. And there he found a, a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and in Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Well, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. What happened in those days is she became sick and died. And when they had washed her and laid her in an upper room, well, since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples there had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming. So Peter arose and he went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up, And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, it's just thankful to spend time in your word, to open your word. Lord God, I pray. That you give us eyes, Lord. That you give us hearts willing to receive, God. That you would move in our midst, empowered, Lord. For we seek an awakening. And we pray, God, that you would do a mighty work, Lord, as we lay this time before you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you know, every time I study through the book of Acts, I, I struggle with some of the same, com- same concepts. I don't know if you guys do, but for me, I look at it and my struggle is the difference. How we are reading incredible things, revivals happening. The book of Acts covers a 30-year period of time. Uh, you know, we roughly see two miracles a year taking place. Uh, revival, things are happening, it seems like. But even as I look at that, understanding that concept, and I look at the church today, I want to know what's the difference. Where's that church? Where, where is those guys? Well, it's funny because um, as we grow smarter studying the Word of God, and we see the disparity between what the Word says and, and how we live our life, we comfort ourselves with different concepts. One of those concepts is that those miracles that we just read about were just for the apostles and the foundation of the church. And once the church was founded, we had the Word of God, we don't have need of those miracles anymore. I have a few problems with that. I have a few problems with that because, well, a little something that Jesus said. He was promising his disciples the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. You guys can look. John chapter 14, he's telling his disciples he's going to bring the Holy Spirit. In context of the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers, he says this phrase these works you have seen me do and greater you also will do now he's talking to the disciples who become the apostles so i mean maybe he's just saying that it's only the disciples will do it but he connects it with the promise of the holy spirit oh and you see when we come to the book of acts and the end of the gospel of luke the lord tells us the promise of the holy spirit is for all Not just the apostles, for those who would come after. That he would empower his church to be who she can't be apart from him. Now we don't have the ability in and of ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to equip us. And so if I understand that and I say, okay, not that necessarily we are going to raise the dead today. But the Bible does tell us that how many things are possible through Jesus Christ who loved us? And our study in the Greek means all is most. Oh, so all is everything. So if everything's possible and the power of the Spirit desired that, how will we know? I try to to relate the concept because I see what my heart desires. Just, I don't know, maybe it's only me. But I've always had this longing to be part of a bigger story than the one I'm in. I've always had this longing that said, you know, that's why I always like the movies or, or for that matter, RPG games. Different things that I got into when I was a, a younger man and some when I was an older guy. And I always wanted it because I always felt like this desire to be part of something more, something greater. I think that's written inside of us. I think that's something that the Lord has placed in our hearts. So the Lord said, greater works than I've done, you'll be able to do. And I don't think he's only talking about miracles. But I don't think he's restricting them either. Then where is it? 
We, we get so used to reading these stories in a Bible and talking about them and comforting ourselves, comforting myself and saying, well, that was for then and this is now and God just doesn't work that way anymore. Well, maybe. Maybe you can make a case for that. I just have this feeling. You ever gone somewhere and had a feeling you left something on at home or you forgot to pack something? We went to the men's retreat and we're headed up the mountain and the whole way I'm packed up and I'm looking at guys and going, man, I just feel like I don't have something I'm supposed to have. I don't know what it is. I'm running through the checklist in my mind. We get up there and I unpack. I don't have any notes. Those little things I use to teach from. Just a small point. There's this nagging feeling in my life and in my spiritual walk that something had been missing. A few weeks ago, the Lord led me to a 21-day fast. Before you start thinking Jackie's some kind of hero, uh, was a juice and vegetable fast. Not like Jesus in the wilderness where he didn't have nothing. I had juice and vegetables. Two things my body has not experienced in 40 years. <laughs> But while I was doing that, the whole purpose of the, of the fast was just seek God. Because I have this nagging feeling, something's missing. And so, you know, in a fast, fast is a very personal thing. And as, uh, as I fasted, what the Lord's showing me is not what's wrong with everybody else. The Lord is showing me what's wrong with me. And he said what's wrong with me is self. Self is too big too big and i think about you know what people oftentimes when they teach they'll talk about well take a look and see what you spend most of your time doing well if you do that kind of a list i encourage you be honest you spend more time reading your bible and praying or looking at yourself in the mirror Sometimes I think, or I shouldn't say me, sometimes Kathy thinks I should spend more time looking in the mirror. <laughs> it saved me. She's not in here right now, so I can say anything about her I want, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys notice the gray shirt under my green shirt? That would make Kathy crazy. <laughs> now, unless she's watching online, I'm okay with that. You guys have to call her if you want to tell her. And she almost never answers her phone. So I think I'm all right. <laughs> Sometimes we think we need to spend more time. But I think, I think if we will honestly take a look, self is... Oh. <laughs> My gray shirt. Yeah. One time, you guys might not know, remember, well, none of the guys will remember, but somebody, some women will. I wore a blue shirt, and underneath I had a tie-dye shirt on. Man, you'd have thought I almost murdered somebody when I got home. <laughs> Do you not look at yourself in the mirror? I'm trying to cut that back. <laughs> <coughs> the concept, I guess, for me is, 
on what the Lord was revealing to me and maybe what the Lord might speak to your heart. Self becomes such a motivation in our life. It becomes a motivation behind everything we do. And I think we got to deal with that because I think that's what holds us back from experiencing the power of God that we read about on the pages of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying if you get rid of self, God will heal everyone you want Him to or raise the dead. But I am saying you will experience the real power of God. Most of us sit in church and we read the stories and we study the Scripture and we say, what I read is different than what I live. I see all these incredible things, these stories of heroes that took on you know, things that were way too big for them to be able to deal with. And they were victorious. And I'm, I'm struggling with these little things. And it, there's a problem. There's a disparity between the reality of how Christ is moving in our life and the reality that we read in the pages of Scripture. And I don't think it's the pages of Scripture that are wrong. I think there's something in us. There are scary verses in the Bible. You guys know some of those scary verses? We talk about them various times. One of them is, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, we did miracles in your name. So it's not about miracles and prophecy. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, Depart from me, I never knew you. Wow. We comfort ourselves, I think, sometimes, and we say, well, it's just one place. Oh, those verses are all over the place. All over the place. Luke chapter 14, and we'll come right back to Acts 9, but flip over to Luke chapter 14. (coughs) Luke chapter 14 has a couple of those. I just want to focus on uh, verse 33. I think it's kind of a summation. But it, at your leisure, feel free to read Luke chapter 14. Verse 33, this is what Jesus says. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'd love to tell you that there's some kind of textual evidence why that verse is not supposed to be there. But it's there. And in careful study of the Greek, we have learned something about the word all, right? All means all, and that's all that all means. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I think sometimes we don't experience the reality of everything that God has for us. Maybe we're not experiencing the reality of anything God has for us. If we are not able to, in some measure, renounce self and cling to Christ in some measure to lay aside me didn't Jesus say if any of you would come after me he must deny himself 
take up his cross and follow me. Scary scriptures. Hey, we can look at these, overlook them, say, well, you know, I must not actually be applying that right and I'll worry about that later. And we can go on with our life. But oftentimes in our life, what we're experiencing of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're experiencing in our relationship with God lacks power. It lacks truth. It lacks reality. And maybe it's because I'm living my life for me. And I'm on the throne. And I am my focus. I'm the focus of my prayers. I'm the focus of my study. I'm the focus of all those things. And then I look at the page of scripture and I say, why doesn't my life look like that? Why don't I see the reality of what's on the page pouring out of my life? And maybe, maybe we haven't dealt with that simple concept. Well, not so simple. To forsake all. Well, <laughs> some people would say, well, listen, the difference between a believer, someone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and a disciple. A disciple is somebody who wants to go further. A believer is somebody who just puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They got their fire insurance, they're good to go. But a disciple, that's something deeper. There's just one problem with that. On the pages of scripture, the words believer, disciple, and saint are interchangeable. They all mean the same thing. So that doesn't bring me comfort. I think there are some things that God wants us to take a serious look at. Because I think, I think, we all profess... And we all believe, and truly, whosoever believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's absolutely true. But whosoever believes on the Lord and is saved wants to be his disciple. And to be his disciple, I must forsake all. Oh, Jackie's crazy. He's telling us to sell everything we got and give it to him. I know pretty soon there's a pitch for He's doing a new building program. He needs some money. I'm sure it's true. <laughs> nah. Listen, when the Bible talks about forsaking all, the word could also be translated to renounce. Hey, it doesn't mean that sometimes God doesn't call you to leave it all behind. Think about Saul. We just read about Saul, right? In chapter 9, the, the guy that was the enemy of the church. He's got all this stuff going for him. He's pretty high up in his particular career. He meets God. What happened with his career? What happened with the direction his life was going? Fairly radical change, right? Well, well maybe that's just him. Well, what about Peter, James, and John, and any of the other disciples? Peter, James, and John, they're, they're sitting out fishing, and one day Jesus walks by and he says... Follow me. And they, what they do with their careers and the direction their life was going? Well, it all radically changed again. Well, maybe that's a bad example. Uh, Matthew, remember Matthew, he was a tax collector. He was sitting at a table collecting taxes. Jesus walked up to him and said, Matthew, come and follow me. Oh, his name was Levi then. But, let's see. Well, no, he left that career too. And... And turned his back on all that stuff and and he followed the Lord. Well those guys are all those guys are all apostles. Let's take pick a regular guy. 
There was a time in the church when the church was struggling, needed people to serve. You've never heard that in church before, huh? There was a time when the church was struggling, needed people to serve. So the apostles said, pick seven men full of the Holy Spirit to wait tables. So they picked them. I, I don't remember all their names, but I remember two of them, Stephen and Philip. You remember those guys? Well, Stephen, let's see. Stephen, <clears throat> he began serving tables. And the next thing we know, we see him doing miracles, healing people, preaching sermons, people getting saved. And then people get so upset about the, the work that God's accomplishing through his life that they kill him. Wow. I'd say his life radically changed. Well, um, Philip. Philip, he, he's there and he's doing the same thing, waiting on tables. And all of a sudden, on the page of scripture, we see him doing miracles, uh, preaching messages, people getting saved. He starts a revival in Samaria. You guys remember, people were getting saved. They called for Peter. Peter came down, prayed over the people that they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were infused with power, power from on high. And then the Lord took Philip and moved him someplace else. And he met an Ethiopian eunuch at just the right time, at just the right moment, when he had just the right question. And so he answers the question, leads him to the Lord, he gets baptized, and then poof, the Lord snatches him up. The word, by the way, is the word harpazo, same word from which we get the word rapture, and drops him in his otis. He just finds himself in his otis. And so he decides to walk along the coast, preaching and teaching and doing the things that he did everywhere else he went, until he finds himself in Caesarea. I don't know. I'm thinking before Philip got picked to serve, he had a different career path in mind. Sometimes God calls us, to actually be the one who lays it all down to go and serve Him. But all the time, He calls us mentally to renounce everything but Him. And I think when we do that, when we walk in that obedience to say, Lord... It's not all this other stuff, and it's not me. Forgive me when I put myself on the throne. It's all about you. Focus on you. Then, then, then we will live our lives not resisting the Holy Spirit, but responding to the Holy Spirit, and we'll walk a walk that relies on the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, as we take a look at verse 32... I love it because we have <clears throat> Peter on a walkabout. The scripture lays out for us in verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all. By the way, those next several words are in italics. For those of you who are Bible students, any word in your Bible that is in italics is not really there. It's invisible. It means it's not in the original text. It's just given to you there so that you might understand what's being said literally what's happening is peter is on a walkabout he's just wandering around being led by the spirit now that seems a little odd doesn't it for the pope he should be someplace else really in reality what we see is peter remember he got called to samaria when samaria was having a revival and he prayed and the samaritans received the holy spirit and Acts chapter 2, we see him in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He goes out and preaches a message, prays. They receive the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. 
And in Acts chapter 10, he's going to do it again. Pretty amazing to see the way that God used Peter. But now, and then, then Peter, after Samaria, he went back to Jerusalem. And, and Paul, Saul, came to Jerusalem to visit with him for 15 days. And then he left. And so Peter decides, I think I'm going to go for a walk. And he walks, and he walks, and he walks. And he finds himself following the exact same route that Philip had followed before. Philip had been led by the Spirit, remember, to go up the coast to Caesarea. Well, that's the same route that Peter's taken. We find him first in, in Lydda. Lydda's just inside. Now, from Lydda, he's going to go to Joppa. Joppa's right on the coast. And then up the coast from Joppa to Caesarea is where his journey is ultimately going to take him. And as he goes, he's finding brothers all along the way. Where did those brothers come from? Where did the people who were saved in Lydda, where did they come from? Well, Philip was on a walkabout too, wasn't he? Philip the evangelist, they call him. And wherever the Lord led him, what did he do? He shared about how different his life was from what it was going to be. And people began to catch the vision for what it is that God can really do and work in someone's life. And people began to get saved. And the same thing happened wherever he went. Samaria, or with the Ethiopian eunuch, or in Lydda, or in Joppa, or in Caesarea, when we run into him again. Wherever he went, this is who he was. And, and Peter's just following behind him. And the Lord's leading him. He's relying on the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have a plan or a purpose that the Scripture tells us. He's just on a walk. And as he's walking, look what it says. It says in verse 32, He came down to the saints who dwell in Lydda. He found believers. And when he found the believers, look what it says. There he found a certain man named Aeneas. When he found the saints, the scripture says, he also found this paralyzed guy. I think Aeneas is, is probably a believer, one of the saints. He's paralyzed. He can't do anything. He can't move. Scripture tells us it, he has a palsy. He had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Wow. Well, where does he get the idea to just say that? Man, I would never do that. You ever thought that? I mean, how do you walk up to a guy who's been eight years laying in bed, can't get up, and know to say, Jesus the Christ heals you. Get up. Well, that's a radical disciple. I think those two words have to go together. I'd say Peter's just a disciple. Maybe light years beyond where we can get. Maybe not. He was relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit told him, Hey, speak, say, Jesus Christ has healed you. Get up. Remember, he did the same thing in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 or 4. When he found the man at the gate beautiful, you remember, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Wow. This is the second time he's done this. Relying on the Holy Spirit will lead us 
to an adventure beyond any adventure you have ever imagined for yourself. But to get there, we can't ignore, you must forsake all. When I say that, what just pops in your mind? To a girlfriend? Boyfriend? Something that you own? Some possession? What is that thing that you say is more important than my relationship with Christ? See, we assume if I forsake it, that means I got to lose it. It's not always the case. Sometimes it is. But listen to what God says to each one of us in the Psalms. No good thing will I withhold from you. That's a pretty cool promise, isn't it? Think about it again. In light of the concept of forsake all, God says, no good thing will I withhold from you. So what he's asking me for is a proper attitude that puts God first. And if the Lord would remove someone from my life, if he would take away a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a relationship that I really don't want to see gone, if it goes away, it means something. What's it mean? It's not good. And then it all comes down to, will you trust the Lord? Do you trust that he knows what he's doing? No, not really. I don't trust him. Well, if you're honest, I trusted the Lord before and, and he took so-and-so out of my life or somebody I really cared for died or somebody was, went through some horrible thing. I mean, you pick your deal. We all have them. The question remains, if we want to see the power of God working in our life, we want to see an awakening, we want to see a revival, just like the revival that Peter starts right there in Lydda. How does he start that revival? Just by relying on the Holy Spirit. That's it. It doesn't mean there has to be a miracle or there won't be a miracle. It just means we have to rely on the Holy Spirit, deny ourselves, and watch God do what he does. But you see, when I'm bitter or angry or frustrated with God, here's my struggle. My struggle is I put myself back on the throne and now it's all about me. When you let that happen, God, that really hurt. He knows that. What he's asking is, will you trust me anyway? Well, God, it's, I have this giant empty space in my life without this thing or this person. And God says, I don't want to share your heart with anything else. If you want something else, then you don't have me. Scary concept, isn't it? If you want to be my disciple, you must forsake all that you have. Man. 
So then as I, as I continue the journey and the fasting and the Lord revealing to me, there's a lot of self. I start seeing self pop up all the time. Every time I'm upset with somebody else, somebody uh, did me wrong in whatever way. It doesn't even make any difference. Somebody said something about me or a rumor mill comes back about something and I get frustrated and irritated. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm pulled out of fellowship or, or, or not really pull out of communion with God and the time I have with God because all of a sudden my focus isn't the Lord anymore. You know what my focus is? Me. I can't believe they said that about me. I can't believe they did that to me. Don't they know what that means? I can't. It's so subtle. It's so subtle. It comes sneaking in and the next thing you know my focus is me all the time. Every single problem in marriage comes back to that every single problem in our relationship with the lord jesus christ is going to come back to that same concept i'm on the throne it's about me i'm focused on me i got so many eyes on me i can't think about anything else we gotta lay it down we gotta lay it down i want to see the body of christ in this place Move in the power of the Spirit according to the direction of the Spirit led by the truth of the Word for the purpose that it was all given to us for to make disciples of all men. But in order to do that it cannot be about me. That's a problem. If we're honest, most of us, or many of us, are frustrated with our Christian walk because we hear things like the abundant life. But I'll be honest, when I read the abundant life, there's times I look at my life and say, there's nothing abundant in my life right now. I feel stressed out. I feel all wiped out because of all these different directions and all these different things going on. And I read scripture and Paul says, well, I'm ready to spend and be spent for you. And Paul, I see traveling all over the place. Paul teaching Bible studies all night long. Paul teaching so long, somebody fell asleep, fell out the window and died. And that didn't even stop him. He went outside, put his hand on the guy, prayed over him. He came back to life and he went back in and kept preaching. And I would get so wore out doing, you know, several Bible studies a week and trying to make it all work. And then I realized all that stuff, I'm, I'm doing it for me. And if I'm doing it for me, I got no juice. So the Lord led me to an awakening where I woke up to my selfishness. And I made a choice. I haven't beat self yet. No. Nor am I, have I reached sinless perfection. I have not attained. But I press on. I know where I'm going now. I know what I need to do in order to get there. I'm laying those things aside. And I'm seeing God speak to me more and more. And I'm enjoying His presence Last Saturday night, we had a bunch of guys up on top of a mountain with snow all over us and 
no place to go. And roughly speaking, somewhere around 9.30, I stopped teaching. And we start praying. We start praying that the Lord would pour out His Spirit. We start praying that God would move. We start praying for guys to throw down things that they're dealing with. We just start dealing with whatever is going on. And the intention was, Fritz was going to play music. And we were going to have this cool little afterglow. But the afterglow thing kind of melted down and we had a brother who was hurt so we got around the brother and we started praying for him and then never went back to the music so when we stop when the dust clears it's 12 30 time was just gone we were so stoked to be in god's presence that none of the other stuff that was going on mattered you think i'm telling you a story find somebody who went and asked them They'll tell you. There's an awakening that God wants to do in our life. But that awakening is going to require me, you, us, to take self off the throne and put God there. And then what we read, this, this little revival in Lydda that occurs because Peter <clears throat> walks by a guy and says, stand up and walk. That'll happen in your life. Maybe you're paralyzed by sin in your life. You know, Jesus met a paralytic guy one time who was paralyzed because of sin. And Jesus walked up to that young man who was actually got dropped through the ceiling right before him. And Jesus said to him who was looking for a healing, your sins are forgiven you. Oh, wow, thanks, Lord. I'm, I still don't walk. I, I wish I could be in that guy's head when the Lord said, your sins are forgiven you. Or, Lord, a blind guy just walked up and you gave him sight. A, a lame guy just walked up and you healed him so he could walk. But here I can't move at all. I get dropped through your ceiling and you tell me my sins are forgiven me. Listen, if that's not the most important thing that you recognize that God gives you in your life, if your focus is so on self that it matters how you walk or how you have the things that you have, then exactly what Jesus said in Luke 14 applies to you. You are not worthy to be his disciple. All the people that were listening said, only God can forgive sin. So you remember what Jesus did? Jesus said, well, so that you know I have the power to forgive sin. Watch this. Rise up and walk. And he got up and walked. Maybe we got paralyzed brothers. Maybe there's some paralyzed people here that are paralyzed by sin in their life and not enable them or equipping them to be the men of God or women of God they need to be. They can't go out and do the things that they need to do. And maybe you're the one who in the power of the Spirit would be able to set them free from the sin that is holding them back. But in order to do that, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And in order to rely on the Holy Spirit, you've got to get yourself off the throne. It cannot be all about me. It must be all about Him. And we are selfish people. I can't believe how many things the Lord's shown me in my life. I would have said I was a relatively unselfish and God just shake his head at me like, oh, Jackie, don't you look in the mirror? Man, there's so many things, so many ways. It creeps into our life. We want to be aware of it. Well, look what happens next. It says now in verse 35, So all who dwelt in Lydda and, and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. That's revival. Revival. 
from a man relying on the Holy Spirit. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple. Oh, see, there's that phrase, that disciple thing. You know, the one that we want to comfort ourselves and say it's not just a normal believer. Well, this certain disciple is a woman named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Dorcas, by the way, means gazelle or deer. Most of us see Dorcas and we think something else altogether. That's not what the Bible's talking about. <coughs> the woman was full of good works and charitable deeds that she did. Listen, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has ordained that we should walk in them. There's, there's things that we're supposed to be doing. And that's what Tabitha's doing. But it happened in those days, she got sick and she died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. But since Lydda was near Joppa, it's about 11 miles away, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. So Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood by weeping. And they showed the tunics and the garments. Maybe they had a bacon scarf. You never know. Well, probably not. They were Jewish. Probably not. <clears throat> they showed the garments that, uh, well, that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. And he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he's not even a person there. Dorcas could not possibly have faith to be healed. You understand that, right? She was dead. How much faith does a dead person have? Last I checked, not very much. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints, Tabitha was a disciple a moment ago. Now he's calling the saints. Hmm. And the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. Another revival. Back to back. Two cities. God's pouring out His Spirit, doing powerful things, all because a guy is willing to go on a walkabout, and he has not put self on the throne. He's willing to do whatever it is God's calling him to do. God wants to do the same thing here. Listen, God is not a God of revival now and again. God doesn't say revival should be about 100 years apart, or 10 years apart, or 5 years apart. God is a God of revival. The Bible says He desires that no one would perish. He has given us everything we need to be equipped to make disciples of all men. To go and take the truth of God's word to whomever will hear. He's given it all to us. But what I read isn't what I see in my life. Then i got to get right with the Lord. A little thing called repentance. I got to get right with him if I'm going to move forward. We got to get right with God if we're going to see God move the way God can move. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to step outside of the boundaries of church. Church, we got some rules in church. You know that? Even here, can you imagine? <laughs> that guy wears flip flops in the summer for crying out loud. Usually we have, you see we got the Lord's Supper out here. Usually we got a bunch of guys and they'll take the Lord's Supper and pass it out to y'all. Nobody's going to give you the Lord's Supper today. Lord's Supper is up here. 
the elements of communion. When the Lord lays it on your heart, I want you to feel free to come up. But before we do that, we're faced with some of the things that we talked about today. There's some stuff we got to deal with, folks. If there's anything in your life that comes up as one of the forsake all that you're not willing to lay down. I'm not saying you have to feel like laying it down. I'm saying you have to be obedient. Renounce it. Ask the Lord to help you. That's why He's there. But you lay it down. You repent of that attitude. Make your heart right before God. And then, come on up and take the Lord's Supper. Oh, but... We're going to do that even a little different today. See, but hopefully this doesn't throw anybody too far off, but we're just going to break up wherever you're at. Just find a group of people to pray with. A lot of times we have prayer counselors that come up, you know, and they pray with you. But what if the prayer counselors need prayer? Oh, I got a way around that. We're just going to group up where we're at. I don't care, you flip your chair, stand on your chair, whatever you got to do, get in a group, gather together with the believers who are around you, and pray. Pray for one another, pray, offer up an attitude of repentance that God would change the things that are sideways in our life and make us right. So we can begin to see that awakening, right? That awakening of the power that God really says He gives flowing out of our lives. To me, the greatest miracle anyone will ever do is a miracle that changes somebody else's life i don't care if they ever walk i don't care if they're always healed what i care about is seeing a life transformed this is the way it was going but this is the way it's going today and that comes from an attitude of repentance so we're gonna have the worship team's gonna come up and we're just gonna play through a couple of songs And at the end of the couple of songs, when it's over, church is over. (laughs) If you're still praying, don't sweat it. Keep praying. I got good news for you. Wherever you're going to go eat lunch, we'll still be there. (laughs) And I'm early. So we got time. We got time to just really seek the Lord. So I encourage you, as we break into song, and guys... You guys know how this works. You guys were all at the retreat. Spread yourself around. Help people figure out how to do it. Get broke down into groups. And <clears throat> take the opportunity to pray. You don't know. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I never prayed in front of somebody. Just pray, Lord, forgive me for my selfish attitudes and help me be strong. That's easy. Don't make it hard. It's not as hard as you think. If God listens to me, he'll definitely listen to you. I promise. Let's go before him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift this time to you. Pray your spirit would move in this place in a mighty way. Lord Jesus, we want to honor you. Father, we want to come before you. Lord, we want to see you move. Father, change lives, change hearts, that the power that we read on the pages of Scripture may be evident in real life. Lord, we thank you, and we praise you for the opportunity in Jesus' name.